0: All right, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses uh, 6 through 7, and the message entitled, A Remedy for Worry. Paul has exhorted the believer to yield to God in order to manifest virtues of the spirit of life in verse 4 and 5 of this fourth chapter. Uh, We looked at the Christian is to be known for having joy, the Christian is to be known for being gracious, and the Christian is to be known for expecting the Lord's coming. Those are important virtues that you should be manifesting in your life as well as myself. Now, Paul continues to exhort the Philippians on specific Christian virtues that are to be experienced by every believer From verse 6 now all the way to 9. So Paul now exhorted the Philippians to a life of trust in God's loving care rather than anxious worry. And that's what we're going to focus on and we'll finish the rest next time. Nothing will hinder our joy more than worry. Trusting in our own strength and reason for life which is called the arm of flesh. That I can be a Christian, I can still trust myself. I really don't trust God for those things. Everything I need to control and whatever it may be. Um, It's a mark of lack of trust in God's love for me. It's a mark of, um, of a life, anxious and unproductive at times. Because when you're anxious, you can't be real productive. It's a mark of lack of faith to believe God to do with... He says he alone can do. The following has been said about worry. Quote, worry is the advanced interest you pay on the trouble that seldom comes. That's good. Worry like a rocking chair will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. George Mueller said that, man of faith. Get that little book. This man trusted God for hundreds of thousands of orphans every day for food, for everything without begging. Incredible man. Paul now exhorts the believer to trust in God's loving care for them, and it's characterized by three things here in verses six and seven. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul's exhortation here to the believer to trust God's loving care is characterized by the following. First, the believer is not to give in to worry. This is the problem. The first part of 6. Secondly, the believer is to pray about everything. This is the process. The rest of verse 6. And thirdly, the believer is to experience the peace of God. This is the product. Verse 7. Problem, process, product. Process equals product. Ladies, you've baked cakes, right? Wrong process, bad product. It's real basic. But it's giving those things to God that we have to deal with every day. Let's begin here with the believers not to give in to worry the problem. Be anxious for nothing. Now notice the Apostle Paul confronted the Philippians with the common problem of living anxious in this fallen world system. We still live in the world, but not of the world, so we have to remind ourselves all the time. Paul used the word anxious in the letter in a good and bad sense. The context will determine which way he's using it. The basic meaning of the word anxious means to take thought, to have care, or have careful concern. Now, it is in a good sense for one's own life or others, resulting in a positive outcome. Something that's legitimate. He used it to describe the like-mindedness of Timothy to care for the state of the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 20. So he used it positively there. God does not prohibit normal or responsible concern, just as the Scriptures teach us, that we... Can be angry in a righteous way, but we're not to allow that anger to take us to a point where we sin. Right? So those are choices we make. Now the context of the word anxious here in our con- in our text here is in the bad sense, just the other side, the negative. The meaning of the word anxious means not to be troubled with cares. To be faithful with un, or fret, to not be fretful, fearful with undue concern. Synonymous with worry. There's people that you know and I know that everything worries them, every little thing. It's just one thing after the other, and they just can't seem to relax or to deal with things the way they should. The word is derived from an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning to strangle or to choke, that'd be a better word. Quit choking, quit strangling yourself. What a vivid and accurate picture of the hurt and damage worry inflicts taking precious time and life from every one of us. Jesus answered and said to Martha, 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 You are worried and troubled about many things in Luke 10, 41, while her sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Notice the apostle Paul declared to the Philippians they were to cease from worry. Paul used the present active tense indicating the process was going on at that time. This is an imperative command in the present tense, literally, it could be translated stop worrying or stop being anxious. It's a command because it's going on. This is because we still possess a sin nature that makes us vulnerable to needless and hurtful, anxious concerns. If we do not walk in the Spirit, We will walk in the flesh, every one of us. The believer is very capable of living a life that is characterized by an unhealthy preoccupation with the troubles of life. About the past. Why? How come? Why did it happen? Why did God allow it? Why didn't God do something? The past is sealed, it cannot be altered. All our complaining and examining will not resolve it. About the present, it robs us of our time rather than resting in God. About the future, what is going to happen? What if you die? Well, what if you die tonight? You won't have to worry about tomorrow. All these what ifs, the whys and what ifs, right? Paul stated the degree of worry the Philippians were to worry about. You ready? Nothing. Look at the word. Nothing. The word is emphatic being at the beginning of the sentence, nothing be anxious about, literally in the Greek. The word nothing is literally not one thing. There are many legitimate concerns in the life of a believer, but not one of them is to rob us of our trust in the goodness of God, and the faithfulness of God. So healthy, legitimate concerns are absolutely legitimate. But when those concerns become things like weights and they bring anxiety to us and they start hurting us in many different ways, mentally, spiritually, and physically, as we'll see, that's no good. The overwhelming anxiety over certain things does not resolve them nor benefit the believer. It has been said that nine out of ten times more damage results from worrying than the actual thing they're worrying about. Medically, worry breaks down resistance to disease especially the nervous system affecting the digestive tract and the heart. It's a fact. Not to mention the sleepless nights, lack of joy in reducing our effectiveness in everything. Do not give it a psychological clinical label, but a biblical one. I'm not trusting God. That's what it comes down to. Today we're in the day of disorders, right? All clinical, psychological, analytical prognosis. And the fact is, if you're a Christian, is you have to trust God for those things, whether it be your past, your present, or your future, right? Did you think that the Christians of the first century didn't have things Horrible things. They were persecuted. Their families were slaughtered. They lived in a very cruel world. Christians were cast of the lions, crucified, upside down, dipped in pitch and lit like torches for the night. Where'd they go? They go to a shrink? Now, if you have a medical disbalance that you need to take medicine, I'm not speaking against that. I'm speaking against psychological counseling. Okay? That gives you the philosophy of the world, the psychology, the philosophy, and, and the worldview of trusting yourself and, and looking to the solutions of humanism and all that. That's what's wrong. Francis... Uh, C. Ellis tells about a businessman who drew up what he called a worry chart, in which he kept a record of his worries. He discovered that 40% of them were about things that probably would never happen, 30% concerned past decisions that he could not now unmake. dealt with other people's criticism of him. And 10% were worries about his health. He concluded that only 8% of them were really legitimate. (laughs) And if you start thinking about a lot of those things, there's, there's nothing we can do about some of those things. And one of the things about being a Christian is that we hand these things over to God. We're walking with God. We're growing in the grace of God. We want to tune our ear to the voice of God. However hard it tries, could never, never sink a ship unless it got inside, speaking about water. All the hardships of this world might wear you pretty thin, but they won't hurt you one least bit unless you let them in. There's a permission that goes on as the word we said to choke or to you know strangle and that's what worries that it causes your arteries to constrict it causes your digestive tract not to function properly all of those things happen Jesus said we are not to worry about our life what well, we will eat, drink, or wear in Sermon on the Mount. We'll begin to that in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And he pointed out God's faithfulness to provide for the birds, uh, the beauty of the lilies in the field. They never struggle nor spin. And yet, the believer's life is of greater value, he says, there in Matthew 5, 28 through 31. You never see a bird, you know, hauling a wheelbarrow, right? Huh? Or a lily trying to, you know, straining to grow or to the beauty of a flower. You can you couldn't match the fineness of cloth to a lily. And yet it's up one day and dies the next day. Solomon in all his glory couldn't compete with that. He pointed out that worry will not add 18 inches to your height. Verse 27 of chapter 5 of Matthew you you can't worry worry i'm going to worry i'm going to i'm going to worry grow myself really 18 inches a cubit wow he pointed out that the Gentiles who know not God worry about all these things what we eat what we put on all of this kind of stuff look around you people buy things they can't afford Because lawyers on the radio tell you, you don't have to be, don't let the the credit companies deceive you and think you have to pay your bill. Really? No, it's your obligation to pay your bills. (laughs) Such dishonesty today. It's amazing. He pointed out, the priority and source of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness; then all these things shall be added unto you. In Matthew five thirty three, the priority first, the kingdom of God. As we've come to Christ, our life has changed. We live differently. We we look at the world differently. We we approach things differently. He taught not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing, sufficient is the day with its own trouble, verse 34 of Matthew 5 says. Worry is a thief. We court and invite into our lives to rob us willingly. W- would you go home tonight, you drive up on your driveway, and you see a guy, you know, getting in your window. You say, well, wait, 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 I got a key. Let me let you in. And you let him in. He's okay, what do you want? That's what we do with worry. We invite him in. To rob us. There are various things that we can do about worrying. We can worry all kinds of things the safety of our children, being overprotective. You want to be concerned, you want to take precautions, but you don't want that to consume your life. Losing your job, your health, losing your youthful appearance. Some people have a hard time getting old. Losing your finances. Problem of unhealthy, anxious concern is that the believer is hurting himself by not trusting God. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians ten three through 6 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but not or mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's against God, not you. The knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Putting on the mind of Christ. Bring those thoughts captive that come against the knowledge of God. The believer is to trust God's loving care by not giving in to worry. Not that it's not there, but to deal with it in the spirit life. Notice secondly here in verse 6, the believer is to pray about everything. This is the process. The apostle Paul provided the solution to their problem, anxiety, prayer. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he says. So Paul uses the word prayer in an action of dependency on God. The word but marks the alternative that will do away with the problem. Prayer too often is thought of only of asking and receiving from God rather than seeing that it aligns us with the will of God to do the will of God in order to please God. Daniel sought God in Daniel 9 verse 1 and 2, as he saw that the captivity was almost up according to the books of Jeremiah, and he sought the Lord in fastings and prayer. Lord, how do I fit in your will now? prayer. The word also marks a sharp contrast of self-dependency through worry to Christ dependency and lack of worry. Paul used two different words for prayer here. The word prayer there is used of prayer in general, adoration and worship. It's towards God always. The phrase in everything means all things whatever. Whatsoever it may be. Um, how about buying a car? You pray about buying a car. How about where you're going to move? What church you go to? Or do you just make the decisions? Uh, through the uh, many years that I've been a pastor, I've seen many people make decisions on their own and really mess up their life in many different ways. Whether it be on who they marry, whether it be where they where they move, whether it be where they buy something, whatever it may be. And the most important thing in your life is God. Secondly is where are you going to get fed? That's the most important thing after that. If you don't have a place where you're going to fellowship and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to serve God, then it really doesn't matter how big your house, house is and how much money you have. Your priority is first the kingdom of God. And we have seen so many people get themselves into all kinds of trouble because they don't put that as a priority in their life. The phrase everything means all things, whatever. Though God may provide through various means and people, God may provide your your finances by your Company that you work for, whether it be Edison or Southern California's, you know, gas company, whoever it is, but yet God has provided through that for your life. But it's still God that's providing it. The word supplication is the second word, it means ask or petition, but it's for special needs. The um, entreating is of God, and the expecting answer is from God. We entreat God and there's very specifically, not just generally. I don't want to say Lord, save the whole world, but I Lord, save my brother, save my sister, save my father, save my friend that I've been ministering to. I'm very specific on some things. In fact, Gabriel told Zacharias your supplication is heard, same word in Luke one thirteen. What was the supplication? He was praying for his wife, Elizabeth. She's an old age. She's, she's, she's never had a kid. And he says, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a kid. Name of John the Baptist. <laughs> Very specific. We're to pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, in every way, as you get up, the minute you get up, when you can't sleep at night, don't just sit there and waste time. Talk to God. Or get up and read and study. Make it productive. Notice Paul stated prayer is to be accompanied with thanksgiving. So it's not just gimme, gimme, gimme. It's to align myself with the will of God and be thankful. Recognizing the privilege of being able to come to God in the name of Jesus and realizing God hears our needs and petitions as we receive those answers. And sometimes the way God answers is not the way we're expecting it. But when it comes, we know it's God's answer. And it's better than the one we had. Or sometimes he gives us, he answers a certain way and we don't like that answer. But then time runs and we thank God for that answer instead of the other one. Because he knows better. God's will is always the best for us. Romans 8, 28 says um, that all things work for good for those who love God. Those who are called according to His purpose. Now, we don't thank God for everything because there's some tragic things that are very difficult and very sad. But we can thank God in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Because I'm, I know He loves me. I know that he has the best interests in mind of my life. And I know he's good and faithful. So I have to get beyond my emotions, my feelings, my own perceptions and trust and rest in him. And go to the word and go to prayer. And if you're going to be a person of prayer, you better know God's word. You want to know how to pray? Then know God's word. If you don't know God's word, you'll be asking about some dumb things. That are completely opposite, contrary to the Word of God. Suffering at times comes by obeying God. You know, we say, "Well, you know, if you're walking God, you're obedient. You won't have no problems." Really? How about Jeremiah? How about Daniel? How about Paul and Silas who established this church and they got beaten with rods and whipped and thrown in jail? And they're there in the midnight praising God. In Acts sixteen twenty five. I will give you a better one. How about Jesus? Do you think Jesus was up on the cross? Well, what did I do wrong? I mean, that I, I I was good. He never sinned. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. First Peter four nineteen says that. We're to commit ourselves to God as a faithful creator in our sufferings according to the will of God. Wow. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Notice the apostle Paul proclaimed prayer as an approach of trust and confidence in God, listen to his words, let your request be made known to God. When you have a son or a daughter, they trust your love. And when they confront you, they confront you with full confidence and assurance because they feel safe in your love. This is the same picture that Paul is saying here. Paul used the word request to refer to a specific thing asked. Last time, supplication is a special thing. This is a very specific thing found three times in the New Testament. The word is used of the Jews' request for Jesus to be crucified, Luke twenty three twenty four. Very specific. Crucify him. The word is used of the believer's confident request before God. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the, here's the word, petition, plural, that we have asked of him. 1 John five fourteen, And the word is found in verse 15. Very specific. Paul gave a command. Not a mere exhortation. The phrase, let be make known, is literally the order in the Greek. One word. In the Greek, four in English. It means to give, to understand, towards God. Not that God doesn't know, but rather that God wants His children to depend on Him and articulate those things, to ask. As part of the joy of your child asking you, and you say, yeah, go get a candy. Sometimes you say, no, you can't have a candy right now. Or no, you're restricted, you can't go out and play. It all depends on the relationship, what's going on, Right? But we're in the right relationship, you know, you desire your child to ask you and, and, and you, you, you get much joy when you are able to bless your children. Right? This is the idea. The tense is the imperative, present, middle voice. Each person must do this for themselves. No one can do that for you. Prayer does not change the mind of God. Some people think it does. It doesn't bend the arm of God to force him. God knows what's best for me. If you and I being loving parents would deny our children what's bad for them, how much more God, who knows absolutely Everything is bad for us. Now I might make a mistake once in a while, my children, but not God. So prayer does not change the mind of God. As if, you know, I'm gonna bug him so much and say, All right, go ahead and do it, I don't care. And you know, sometimes the parable of the unjust judge is taught like that. The majority of the time it's taught like that. Where that widow asked him to give her justice with these creditors. And he, he, she kept bugging him, bugging him. And then um, he said, well, you know, I, I, I don't fear God or man, but just to get her off my back. I want to do it. And then the, the punchline is, you know, uh, that people teach that we should be persistent in prayer. That if we, bu- then, then that means that, that you're teaching that if we bug God long enough, then he'll give in to us. No, the parable is teaching the opposite. Even though this guy does not fear God or man, and he did justice for her, how much more God? God doesn't need you to be bugging him to do justice for you. (laughs) It's just the opposite. You destroy the parable. And that's the way it's taught most of the time. There's other parables for persistency, but not that one at all. Paul stated, notice the believers to go to God. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6 6. That's what we should do. That's what pastors should do. That's what ministry should do. Rather than begging, And pressuring people and and doing marketing and, 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 you know, you you, you can be, you know, you can own part of this uh, evangelistical crusade. You can, you're a partner with us. And they use all these little phrases. Why don't you just go in your closet and if God wants you to do this, you ask God to provide for you. And you let God reward you openly so that you'll know that it is God's will that you're doing and you're not just manipulating people and organizing people and pressuring people. If you um, ever heard Pastor Chuck in the past 40 years, you know that's exactly what he taught. He spoke very hard against people who beg. His saying was what God provides. God guides, he provides, right? That's the way most Calvary chapels function. But they started changing. And then when he died, it's like it went ballistic. (laughs) Lightning speed. He says, go to God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace and help in time of need, Hebrews four fourteen through 16 So we go to God, we spend time with God, we allow him to minister to our hearts to deal with with our attitudes and to just rest in his faithfulness and his goodness pastor chuck in the same line once was offered by a man a million dollar investment portfolio years ago the guy said you know i invested this portfolio and i said if you bless it lord i'm use it for you this is your portfolio so when he <clears throat> it grew into millions of dollars he went and he offered it to chuck and chuck said well you know let me pray about it chuck went to prayer and he came back and says i can't take it god told me he wants to get the glory for this ministry i can't take that and so he recommended some other ministries wow That's not the way people do ministry. (laughs) But that's the type of man he was. Everything that happened at Costa Mesa, Chuck was the first one that told you for all those years that it wasn't him, it was God. He took no glory. He took no credit for anything. He used to say, I'm what the most... Average kind of guy that there is. But if we do it God's way, then he gets the glory. Your anxiety, your worries, the weights upon your life. That has greater value than money. Much more. Prayer does not imply that the believer doesn't do anything except pray. But until we pray, all that we do is worth nothing. We go to prayer and then God may direct and guide us and do some things. But we usually try to do everything we can. Then we say, well, okay, might as well go to prayer the last thing. No, it should be the first thing. Just the reverse you have not because you ask not, James 4.2 says. You have not because you ask amiss that it might be consuming your own flesh, James 4.3. <clears throat> in other words, <clears throat> sometimes we don't ask, and sometimes we ask for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. So God says no. Prayer and God's answer will develop trust and confidence in God. You know, they would anoint the high priest's right thumb, his ear. And his right toe. To walk in the ways of God. Do the work of God. And to tune the ear to God. To hear his voice. Leviticus 8.24. You have to hear the voice of God. To trust that voice. And by hearing it constantly. Then it becomes believable and reliable to you. If you're training a dog. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to be the one giving the commands. You've got to be the voice that he responds to. The same thing with you and God or myself. Psalm 37, 3 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell um, in the land. And feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. It's that resting and trusting in the goodness of God, the justice of God, the love of God. Prayer will keep me humble. First Peter five: six or seven says, "Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ear is open to their cry." Psalm 34:15. Prayer is in faith, believing God's word and His promises. James 1, 6 through 6-8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that consistent reliability. That this is the way I live. This is how I handle whatever is going on. In other words, when things are going good or things are going bad, it shouldn't change my conduct towards God. The same. It shouldn't alter. You know, when nine eleven hit, everybody changed their policies on how to do in security at the airports. Except Israel, <laughs> they didn't change anything because they were consistent and. Good security. Didn't matter. Didn't affect them. The believer is to trust God's loving care by praying about everything. Everything, the smallest of things. The things that you, ah, we don't. Pray about it. Third and last, look at seven. The believers to experience the peace of God. This is the product. The problem, the process, here's the product. The apostle Paul declared the powerful sufficiency regarding the peace of God. And the peace of God will surpass all understanding. Paul noticed is distinguishing the peace of God from peace with God. With God is for our justification in Romans 5 1. When we repented, God was no longer at war with us. We were no longer at war with him. Jesus made peace with God, justified us as we heard the preaching of the gospel and we repented. Paul now is referring to the peace of God. This is what is available to every believer after we are born again for every situation, every circumstance in life to not worry. Now, am I saying and do I believe that you can live absolutely everything, every time without worry? No. But I know that if you listen to the Lord and I listen to the Lord, I can worry a lot less. (laughs) Okay? The reality of it. You yourself know that you've gone through things that drove you crazy and you came to the end of yourself you went to God and though the thing had not changed there came a break there came a difference and you rested in God and you let God deal with that and take care of it same problem hasn't been resolved but your attitude your commitment to God made all the difference This phrase, the peace of God, is found only this one time in the New Testament. As evidence of trusting God. This is one of the greatest benefits to the believer in Christ that comes directly as a result of going to God in prayer. No one can do that for you. No one can do that for me. I can understand things intellectually, but... It's not going to help me. The word peace, as you know, Irene means to join or to set at one. It presupposes something previously broken, separated, uneasy, or unsettled. The name Irene comes from it. The peace of God joins us and sets us at one with his will and purposes, receiving his strength to rest and endure through the situation under the burden, the circumstance that we are under. So that we're not anxious or worried, because his word constantly tells of his love, and we're abiding under his rest. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight says. The second manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit after joy is peace, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, agape love. The first manifestation, joy. Second, peace. When you don't have joy, it's because you lost your peace. (laughs) It's real simple. Notice Paul describes the peace of God as surpassing all our understanding. The word understanding is the word now also speaks of the intellectual faculty and disposition of moral attitude and determines the will or actions. This is the mind of the natural man, that uh, the old man that doesn't want to trust God, the old sin nature that is still with us. Notice he says all. It means every thought that stands and opposes God's peace. It's through prayer, trusting God. The supernatural peace of God sustains a person against all the rationale and reasonable comprehension of the mind regarding the situation resting in God. You don't lean to your own understanding. All you always acknowledge. He will direct your path. The word surpasses means to be above or superior in rank, authority, or power to anxiety. God's supernatural peace allows us to break with the care-ridden mind and be joined to the new mind of Christ in transformation and through transformation, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg you by the mercy of God to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to the world's system, but be metamorphosed, transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Resting in Him. Reason does not always show me the way out, but in fact at times magnifies my problem resulting in greater anxiety and worry. The more I try to solve it, the more problems I get. Then once I really analyze I realize, man, I'm not in trouble. I'm in deep trouble. Again, we're not talking against responsible concern about things. It's not what Paul is prohibiting. Notice the apostle Paul declared, Powerful protection regarding the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Paul understood that the life of a believer is always involved with spiritual warfare. The minute you're born again, you're born into warfare. The word guard is a military term that's used for a sentinel. Remember this at Philippi, it had a garrison, it's a Roman colony. They have soldiers all around. The word is used of the sentinel in Damascus watching the gate to get Paul in Second Corinthians 11.32. The peace of God acts as a spiritual warrior, a guard to defend and fight against everything that would attempt to disrupt the peace, the will, and the purpose of God in your life and mine. To not obey God. To not rest in God, to not trust Him. Paul understood that the hearts of the believers, old man, is not good, but evil. This would refer to the physical organ, the cardio, literally, in a literal sense, the physical heart that pumps blood and through that your oxygen and nutrients to every part of your body. If we have an unhealthy heart, our life is in jeopardy and we could die. The word heart here in our text is used figuratively, not literally. To indicate the center of the inner life of man where the intellect, emotions, and the will resides. The heart. The center and seat of spiritual life, the center of a person's character, who you really are. Are you the, living the old man or the new man? Who are you trust This is the usual way the heart is used throughout the Bible. Spiritual warfare. The old man, the new man. The old sin nature, the new divine nature. The inner man, the outer man. The disposition of the heart of the natural man is both in both Old and New Testament is always evil, deceitful, and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17:9 tells us that. So does Deuteronomy 10:16. 16. It must be circumcised by the Spirit of God. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 said from the heart proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, so on and so forth. Philippians 3.3 3 says we are circumcised by that type of circumcision, not made without hands. Colossians 2.11 also. And so we allow God to deal with our hearts so that we trust him and we don't trust our own selves. Proverbs 4.23 says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. But things that come from the heart are not good. Unless I have God dealing with me and I'm being transformed and I'm making decisions by the word of God, by the will of God, then I will add to my hurt. And emotions are strong and emotions are, are deceptive and you make a dumb decision and afterwards you say, oops, it's too late. Paul understood that the mind of the believers, old oh man, is still evil. Look at the word mind. It's the word neoma. It indicates the mental perception of the thoughts and purposes, the result of the activity of the understanding. Previously, the word their is understanding. That disposition of our moral attitude. So that word now, their understanding, is related to the thought process based on meditation and reflection. The problem is what? Worry. The process is what? Prayer. The product is peace. Process equals product. You skip the process, you have the problem. You've got a bad problem. That's the product, it doesn't go away. That same word, mine, neoma, is used only by Paul six times it appears in the New Testament. All of them are evil, except for right here. This is the only positive time. If we yield to the process, we get the product. Paul understood the peace of God. Surpassing all understand that will guard our hearts and minds comes only, notice who? Through Jesus Christ. Not through psychology, not through professional counseling or anything else. Jesus the Prince of Peace, Isaiah nine six. Jesus is the God of peace. Philippians four nine. Jesus is the Lord of peace in Second Thessalonians three sixteen. Philippians two five eleven says, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. What did he do there? He trusted God to the point of death. That's why a name was given to him above every other name. That every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. You remember Peter? James has just been killed by the sword or by Herod. And he's chained the two soldiers. And he's sleeping like a baby. And the angel comes in and has to wake him up. Hey, Peter. Now, the next day, Herod was going to kill him. For sure. How could Peter sleep like a baby that night? Because Jesus told him, Peter, when you're young, you want where well, you will. When you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Speaking about the death he would have. Peter remembered His ear was tuned to the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, You're not going to die till you're old. He had the peace of God. Because he heard the voice of God. The circumstance was bad. They just killed James. Wow. The peace of God is evident that I'm walking in the Spirit. Romans 8 and 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The peace of God will unite my heart and mind to be stable and dependent on God. Colossians 3, 15 through 16 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The peace of God will cause me to yield more to God's love, not losing my joy, being strong in life. Proverbs twenty four ten says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Isaiah 26, 3-4, through you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. You see, the peace of God will allow me to see what he can do and wants to do for me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power of the works and us. to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Wow. The believers to trust God's loving care by yielding to what? The peace of God. And so... Paul has exhorted the believer to trust in God's loving care for them, characterized by these three things. The believer is not to give in to worry, the problem. The believer is to pray about everything, the process. And the believer is to experience the peace of God, the product. Three things. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. We love you, we thank you. We pray you deal with our hearts, Lord. And we pray for anyone who doesn't know you that you would speak to their hearts. We pray for those who are listening through the internet, the radio, that you would use this, Lord, and you would speak to them, comfort them. They may find themselves in difficult situations somewhere in the world, Lord, that you deal with them. And that you come upon them, Lord and Father, we look to you, strengthen them. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. That's the most important thing. Because if you're not saved, then you're wrestling with your own life, making your own choices, adding to your own hurt, thinking that you're the master of your own ship and um, uh, you can't handle it, guaranteed. So the message to you is repent. Repent. And if you're here and if you don't know him, or over the internet. This is a prayer of repentance for you to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to give you eternal life because you believe that he died in your place and the Father poured his wrath upon him that should be poured upon you. And repentance is your agreement with him that he died for you. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.